What's going on, folks? Contender Series Week 8. Man, it feels like this season has been flying by. I think it helps that we've been doing so well. Um, not just, you know, with the Contender Series, but just pretty much overall. Um... Fun, uh, solid card, you know, a little bit more difficult of a card to call than uh, prior editions. Um, I do have three plays on the card, I just kind of finalized them while I was on the shitter <laughs> a couple minutes ago. But uh, a couple spots that I'm liking, um. Yeah, very much looking forward to break it down with you guys. So I don't want to get into the comments section a little bit uh, too much here uh, because I do have my MMA log talk actually uh, in the next 20 minutes or so. Uh, so if you guys have any questions in regards to my breakdowns or anything like that, save them for the log talk, which I'll be hopping right back on for at 4 p.m. Eastern. I just want to get this breakdown out there, uh, get through it as efficiently as possible so I can upload it to my podcasting platforms as well. Uh, and then I'll hop on into the MMA log talk um, stream so that you guys can uh, hop on with me and we can just do our uh, log casting as we normally do. So make sure you guys check it out. You guys are hilarious. Uh, I'm assuming you guys enjoyed my intro there. All right, let's uh, let's not waste any more time. Let's get right into the breakdowns here. We'll start off at the bottom of the card. First fight of the night. It's going to be between former Contender Series alum, uh, or I should say just Contender Series alum, Brandon Lewis, uh, coming in as a minus 150 favorite, plus 130. The return, I believe, on the Peruvian Yes, he is Peruvian. Daniel Marcos, who comes in with a shiny 12-0 record. Um, interesting thing about this fight is that Bet Online actually opened up Daniel Marcos as a minus 180 favorite. Money immediately pouring in on the Brandon Lewis side to make him the slight favorite, or, well, make him a favorite now at minus 150, like I said. Um, but this one is, a you know, a close fight. You know, I completely understand why the bookmakers opened it as wide as they did for Marcos. Um but I think the 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 public's reaction to the line and driving Brandon Lewis all the way up to a minus 150, I think is a little bit uh, unwarranted, to be honest. I think this should be closer to a pick if anything. So let's start off on the Brandon Lewis side of things. Like I said, he was on the contender series last year where he came up short against Mo Miller. Uh, very slow-paced fight, very grueling fight, and obviously Mo Miller's grappling was the the dis difference maker in that fight, uh, and he ended up picking up a decision victory there. Ultimately, Mo Miller did not get signed to the UFC and has actually been on a bit of a tumultuous run since then. Uh, he's gone one and two in his next three fights, so never really uh, looked to be a you know high-level UFC guy should he have made it into the UFC to begin with. Brandon Lewis, uh, you know, very solid fighter all around. Trains out of a, a deaf war uh, gym, I believe that's down in Tampa Bay. Uh, but uh, his jiu-jitsu alignment is with 
uh, Hobson Mora. And Hobson Mora, you know, near and dear to my heart because the MMA gym that I used to work at up here in Toronto was an affiliate of a Hobson Mora. And we had Hobson come up here a bunch of times to do seminars and bell gratings and all that type of stuff. So shout out to Hobson Mora. Um, but you see a little bit of the jujitsu in Brandon Lewis's game when he does get put on his back. My concern is that it seems like he throws a little bit too much into his punches, while ultimate, which ultimately makes him start to slow down and eventually, uh, you know, uh, it slows down, but he does end up winning his fights more often than not because he does have a 6-1 and one record. His last fight, I don't think he was doing the greatest in that first round and then eventually was able to take over in that second round before he finished his opponent. So good win for him there. Although, you know, Tapology has it listed as an injury. Uh, it was an injury caused by the beatdown that he was receiving. So don't look too much into the fact that it says injury on Tapology there. Like I said, the fight before that was Mo Miller, uh, and the fight before that was against Jimmy Meza, which was actually his, uh, which was Brandon Lewis's return after after nearly being uh, out of the cage for nearly four years. Um, I believe it was a mix of uh, injuries. I'm not 100% sure at this point in time, but he was off for a long time, uh, and he had an absolute war against Jimmy Meza where both guys had success, uh, but it was eventually Brandon Lewis who got his hand raised that night. Uh, solid striking. Like I said, he throws with a lot of power. Uh, he obviously has a jujitsu background as well, training out of Hobson Moore's gym. But there are certain times where you see him kind of, you know, get taken down and and controlled. Um, although, you know, uh, it's not really getting to the point where. Uh, you know, a lot of guys are having tremendous success with doing that to him. He still has a relatively young MMA career, at least professionally, because he did used to fight on the regional scene, or sorry, at least on the amateur scene way back in the day, um, you know, from 2013 to 2016. We're talking about him turning amateur or having his first amateur fight when he was 16 years old. So the guy's been in the cage for a while, but the one thing that seems to be lacking for him is, you know, uh, cardio... Uh, distribution or or portioning it properly or or handling it correctly i think that is kind of the 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 bane of his game although it's only kind of filled him once since he has one loss on his record to mo miller um but even the 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 takedowns as well which is something i feel like daniel marcus could absolutely take advantage of in this spot now daniel marcos uh undefeated 12 and 0 peruvian like i said has fought uh, or has trained with uh charles rosa um you know often seems like he's been fighting or training out of that gym uh, over there in uh, florida pretty much just with uh, charles um not a big accolade per se but at least he's getting some decent working with a solid guy you know that he's going to get his jujitsu worked as well with charles rosa being a black belt the way that he is but daniel marcos you know decent striking uh but it seems like he does his best work when he's able to to drag guys to the ground and control them in those situations. I think he could do that here against Brandon Lewis. And uh, again, it seems like the odds makers, considering he's such a big favorite, um, you know, considering he's such a big, uh, sorry, he opened as a big favorite and now is a slight dog. Uh, like I said, I think there's a bit too much of an overcorrection there in terms of the line. And I actually do end up having a, that small play on Daniel Marcos here. Uh, one unit at plus 132. You know, I think he can make this a, a tough and grueling fight for Brandon Lewis. Um, I think Lewis has some upside, but he has shown some uh, deficiencies in the aspects of the game that Daniel Marcos could likely take over. Um 
yeah, you know, both guys don't really blow my hair back in terms of being solid UFC prospects should they get signed to the UFC. But in this particular matchup, a matchup that I think should be closer to a pick uh, I do lean the Daniel Marcos side as I think that his striking can remain competitive enough for Brandon Lewis, possibly even clip Brandon Lewis and hurt him as well. But I think that the majority of his success should be able to come with getting some takedowns here and grinding out Brandon over the course of 15 minutes. So give me Brandon or Daniel Marcos to kick off the card as an underdog play. No big, big confidence, but I still want to play him at that plus 132 line, especially with that drastic line movement that we saw on the Brandon Lewis side um, once this line opened up. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. It is a women's featherweight belt. We got Bruno Brasil going up against Marnik Mann. In terms of odds, we currently have Mann as the minus 140 favorite, plus 120. Or sorry, yeah, Brasil as the minus 140 favorite, plus 120, the return on Mann. Uh, very weird because all over best fight odds, I see the odds all over the place here, right? The one consistent seems to be that Mon is around plus 120, plus 130, but you can get Brazil anywhere from minus 140 all the way up to minus 175, depending on the the bookie that you're you're betting with. Now, Bet Online actually had Bruno Brazil open up as a minus 155 favorite. Immediate action pushing her down to minus 205, but steady action coming in on the grappler, Marnik. Uh, Mon, uh, which has brought her down to about plus 130 at this point in time, like I said. I think I, you know, th this is a classic striker versus grappler matchup, right? Bruno Brazil is going to be enjoying a six inch height advantage in this matchup. Very weird in the fact that, um, you know, Marnik Mon normally fights at 115 pounds, but this fight seems to be taking place at 125 pounds. Let me just quickly confirm that though because sometimes i do find that um that topology could be off but very weird that marnik would be taking this fight up at 125 pounds yeah it's actually a straw weight fight so uh topology is a little bit off there but uh 115 pounds for both women here but still bruno will be uh enjoying a six inch height advantage as well and likely a very large reach advantage as well once they start releasing those those metrics on the uh the on all the record keeping sites here, but uh, Marnik, you know, likes to get most of her work done on the ground. That's where you see her able to get her triangle chokes. Uh, the the cut stoppage that she got against Jenny Klausia, a lot of that having to do with her ability to just ground her opponent and just land some big shots from on top. Uh, and then in the Kelsey Armisen fight, you know, a chick that was only one in one but was up there in age, uh, a lot of Kelsey's. Uh, success or at least ability to remain competitive in her fights come from the fact that she's just strong and difficult to deal with, right? That's why you see her, you know, she's fought Tabitha Ricci, but she showed that she was quite strong in that fight, dealing with the expertise that she was getting from Tabitha. And the Catherine Paprocki fight, you know, another woman that we're familiar with, uh, considering that she fought on the contender series last year, but she was able to grind her out over 50 minutes and win that fight just being by just being the stronger woman. Uh, Mon, you know, she had a back and forth fight with Kelsey. Both women having good success from on top, but man are sometimes showing some flaws in the fact that she just gives up her uh, position a little bit too much by being too aggressive on 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 top. Now, Brazil being a, a kickboxing, you know, I don't want to call her a phenom per se, but like she's pretty damn good at kickboxing, and it seems like it seems to be getting better every single time that we see her. Um, her her jujitsu off her back isn't too bad either. You know, she's very active off her back. She makes it very difficult for her opponents to stay on top and have much success some 
much success from there. But uh, when she is on the feet, she does a very good job in terms of remaining disciplined and not really allowing her opponents to have much success in those spots. The last loss that she actually has on her record comes to Jessica Dalboni, and that was actually the third fight, or sorry, fourth fight in Bruno Brasil's career compared to the sixth fight that Jessica was having that night. Somewhat of a competitive fight up until the point that Bruno... Uh, Bruna, sorry, uh, it seemed like she tore her ACL or something, but she had a very bad injury in that fight, which caused her to be on the shelf for over two years. But luckily, she came back and had a beautiful performance against Jacqueline Janesh. Uh, started off by landing a beautiful liver kick and then following up with some punches on the ground to get her out of there. Uh, she follows that up by beating a Alexei Tenera, a very solid prospect. You know, this Tenera girl, uh, she has wins over a high-end Amanda who just recently fought. Um, and there was another name that uh, is escaping me at this moment in time that I just remember remember Tyra beating that I was very impressed with. But Bruno Brasil was uh, Alexei's or Alexia's only loss. So, uh, impressive work from Brazil there. I think Brazil will be the better striker, like I said. I think it will be too much of a discrepancy in terms of range for Mon to close and try to get this fight to the ground because she's going to be dealing with that disciplined striking approach of Bruna, like I said. Uh, Bruna does not overextend. She does not overthrow in her punches, so she's very disciplined in terms of staying at range the way that she does. Given the fact that she has seven MMA wins, only five or two of them have come via knockout, which is a which is a further attribution of the fact that she doesn't really go balls to the wall much. She's okay with staying content on the outside and just picking apart her opponents from distance. I'm expecting her to do the same thing here against Mon, which I do, which is why I don't mind her as a minus one forty favorite. But I did end up actually parlaying her with something later on in this card uh, to get a, a slightly better price tag on her as well. So I'm going on the um. Brazil side, Brazil by decision. Seems like somebody just saw that there is a Rob Font versus Adrian Yanez fight in the works. Please ask me about that on the uh, or on my MMA Lock Talk, and I'd be happy to talk about that fight. Um, <laughs> Aaron Burr saying, when is Benny making his term? return to podcast. Shout out to Aaron. All right. Let's move on to the next fight here. Uh, next up, we got Malik Lewis going up against Trevor Peak. Minus 190 on Lewis and plus 160 on Trevor Peak. Now, I initially heard about Trevor Peak courtesy of my guy, Cody Saftik. He actually went down and commentated his last fight that took place in uh, Nashville. Uh, and that was actually a fight where he was able to pick up a big knockout victory over uh, UFC, former UFC fighter, Kama Worthy. Uh, knocked him out with about 16 seconds left in that first round. But Kama Worthy, you know, on a very rough stretch over his last, what is that, six fights? Obviously, three, the, 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 Initial three of that in that six fight streak was his three fight losing streak to uh, in the UFC, where he got knocked out in the first round back to back to back by Azatar, Malarkey, and Herbert. He did manage to pick up two wins on the regional scene, although they were against guys that were eight and six and four and three, respectively. And then once he fought a little bit, you know, somebody that wasn't much of a pushover, he ended up getting knocked out. So that's pretty much Trevor Peak's game, man. The guy has heavy strikes, big power in his hands. He tries to stay active with his leg kicks, but the majority of his success comes from his hands. He has some decent groundwork as well, but I don't think we've seen him go up against somebody that will 
test him truly in that aspect until tonight against Malik Lewis. So I, uh, Malik Lewis, much better overall game in my opinion, right? We've seen him go um, the full 15 if we need to, even on the regional scene. Again, that's uh, nine minutes, I should say, on the regional scene. But we've seen him uh, use his cardio very effectively. We've seen him use his striking effectively, using his distance management pretty well. And then when he's able to get his opponents to the ground, he does that very effectively as well. So I think he's the much better fighter here. So I completely understand why he's a minus 190 favorite. But I think the majority of success from Trevor Peak will have to come in this first round. Because if he can't knock Malik out in that first round... That's where I think things get very hairy for him. We see him even uh, in the highlights of the fight against Kamal Worthy. Looks like he was slowing down even near the ending of that fight. But as we know, the durability of Kamal Worthy is not that good. So Trevor Peak was able to take advantage of that, even though it looked like he was slowing down, managed to find that knockout blow and got Kamal Worthy out of there. But if he's slowing down against a guy like Malik Lewis, Malik will chew him up after that first round and really make it difficult for Trevor Peak to come back and win that fight. So I'm going to go with Malik here, and I'm okay with laying the minus 190 chalk on him in the spot because I like betting against guys that have that, you know, first round or bust type of, um, you know, nature to their game. You know, Khalid Taha is another guy that comes to mind that I was able to cash on, you know, although I did get plus money on Christian Quinones in that spot, I still feel like minus 190 on Malik Lewis is a bit of a, a, steal, <clears throat> a steal in the spot. <clears throat> this is where the slight... Um, where the slight hedge comes in. As I did actually take the, or a parlay, the fight doesn't go to decision with uh, Bruno Brasil from earlier in the card. One unit at plus 119, as that could potentially cover, um, you know, Trevor Peak fighting that early knockout against Malik Lewis, which is absolutely possible in the spot. So I don't want to completely shit on Trevor here, but, uh, you know, he has big power, but it's only going to take him so far. I don't think that he'll be able to cut it in the UFC and get, you know, big, uh, a big plethora of wins. Uh, and I think that we're going to see him get exposed here by the much better and, uh, you know, more well-roundedness of the um, Malik Lewis side. I got diehard MMA podcast in the chat saying PKO. Are you on the peak, my friend? Because we would be, um, we would be head to head down on that if that ends up being the, the the play that you make, my friend. But I do like the Lewis side. I am going to eat a little bit of chalk on him there. But I'm also taking the fight doesn't go to decision. As you know, I will admit that that peak will be um, dangerous in the early onset here. But I think after that, Malik will take over and finish him. Uh, diehard podcast saying peak one unit plus 175 uh round one ko plus 550 i don't mind that round one ko to be honest but uh i do think it ends up getting ripped up here my friend i'm gonna go malik lewis probably second round tko or submission but i do also do like the fight doesn't go to decision as a parlay piece all right let's move on to the next fight here we got two fights and i'm gonna rifle through these um, just so I can get in time for my MMA lock talk, or at least not to not be too late for the MMA lock talk. Again, any questions that you guys are asking, I will answer them all on the MMA lock talk. So make sure you hop on over there once I get there after these next two fights. <clears throat> all right, next up, the long-awaited Contender Series debut of Ikram Alias Karov going up against Mario Sosa. 
And as you would expect with anybody coming from that Dagestan region, minus 580 on the Alice Kerov side, plus 440 to return on Mario Sosa. Now, Alice Kerov, uh, the one thing that he's been known for by a lot of people is, you know, the only loss on his record is to Hamza Shmaev. That was a fight where, you know, they had some competitive moments in the stand-up realm, but it was ultimately the uppercut from hell from Hamza Shmaev that put Alice Kerov down and ultimately gave Hamza the win that night. But Alice Kerov seems like his striking could use a little bit of work, if I'm being honest. A little bit slow in plotting at times, but he gets his best work done when he's able to drag his opponents to the ground. Uh, I do have question marks about his cardio, as it does seem like he slows down a decent amount in that third round. Although, when he needs it, he's able to hit those takedowns and control his opponents from on top. And I think that's ultimately what's going to bail him out here against Mario Sosa. The only reason I'm just not running to the betting window to parlay him at minus 600 is Sosa's the better striker here, right? Sosa can hurt him. We've seen Alaskarov hurt in a, a couple fights if you round the tape, and Sosa could absolutely take advantage of any type of slip-up on the Alaskarov side in the striking realm. I see Sosa by KO is currently plus 1,000. A little bit of a poke on that wouldn't be too bad, but I, you know, seeing Sosa get taken down by Chidi Kawani and just get ground and pounded the way that he did in his second contender series fight, Big, big question marks. Also, not to mention how easy it was for that Canadian. Uh, I think it was Mariusz Kshonskiewicz. I remember I took forever to try to learn that kid's name. But uh, uh, Kshonskiewicz was having a lot of good success in terms of taking Sosa down. So if that guy from Canada is having tremendous success getting Mario to the ground, I'm sure Ikram won't have any issues doing the same thing either. So uh, Ikram will be the, the the prediction here. I think he grounds Sousa and, he, and I think he gets him out of there. Um, although the last thing I will say about Mario Sosa, since the time he's been off from the contender series, he's had two fights. One of them against uh, Antonio Gordillo. He was able to ground and pound him and get him out of there. Decent work from him. But his next fight was against an 0-1 guy, which is, you know, big red flags to me. Big, big red flags. Um, uh, the, you know, the guy did not look like he even deserved to be in the cage. And then uh, he looked intimidated from the minute he stepped into the cage. And that's where we saw uh, Mario Sosa really just put the pressure on him and then eventually get him out of the get. The guy tapped his strikes as well. So not the best level of competition that Mario has been going up against since his last contender series appearance. But unluckily for him, he has to go up against a Dagestani beast like Ikram Aliskirov. So I'm going to go Aliskirov first or second round, ground and pound TKO. All right. Main event. We finally get to see Javid Basharat's brother, Farid Basharat, get his chance to try to make it to the UFC. He's going up against Alan Begoso. In terms of odds, we currently got minus 295 on the Basharat side and plus 245 the return on Begoso. Now, Farid deserves to be the favorite in this spot, right? Uh, better striker, at least fundamentally, uh, does a good job in terms of maintaining distance, uses his clean, crisp strikes down the middle, but also <clears throat> has a sneaky good ground game as well. You know, I think it's actually better than his brother's, uh, and he does a good job in terms of blending his strikes with his takedowns and controlling guys on the ground, looking for finishes too, not just looking to lay and pray in these spots. Alan Bogosa, on the other hand, looks like he always succumbs to guys that don't want to go out there and grapple him. He managed to get a title shot in the LFA against, against Richard Palencia, and throughout those five rounds, Bogosa probably won one of them where he was able to rock Palencia in that first round, but after that, it was pretty much Richard landing takedowns 
I don't want to say at will, but on a consistent basis uh, and grinding that fight out over the, you know, final 20 minutes of that fight and winning that fight via decision. Megoso earns a shot on the contender series by landing a beautiful flying knee against Paris Stanford. The big thing to hear to, to remember Paris Stanford or Paris Stanford, 39 year, years old, and that capped off a three fight losing streak for him as well. So um, not the, not the best of, uh, competition to get a shot on the contender series, in my opinion, but is what it is. They need to get Farid in there, and I think Allen was probably the only guy that was ready to go. Uh, Allen also moved to Team Alpha Male a couple years ago and has been trying to round out his game there, but it seems like the majority of his win conditions usually come with him landing the bigger, better strikes and eventually getting his opponents out of there with you know knockouts or punching them into submission and then opening up the guillotine choke and trying to take that home on take that on home with him as well. So I lean the Farid Basher outside here, but I am going to give uh, Bogoso his respect in regards to the big power that he carries in his hands because that is absolutely plausible in, her, in him catching that chin of Farid in this fight. But I do like Farid here. I do think he is the side. I do think he wins this fight without too much issue, which is why I'm going to pick him to win this fight. And uh, I'm going to go with him by decision. Bogoso seems to have good take or uh, submission defense. Uh, you know, does a very good job in terms of relegating his opponents back to guard whenever they do get him to the ground. Um, and as we saw in the Palencia fight, you know, even when he gets taken down, he stays live enough that it's difficult for his opponents to get him out of there. So uh, I think Farah does get the better of him throughout this fight. And I think he wins this fight by decision. All right. Uh, good point here by Paizo DFS saying subline on Bagoso, not bad at plus 1,000, especially considering how many times he does like to go for that neck uh, and, and go for that guillotine as well. All right. Let me just quickly rifle through my picks once again, or my predictions, I should say. I'm going to go Daniel Marcos over Brandon Lewis. I'm going to go Bruno Brasil over Man. I'm going to go Malik Lewis over Trevor Peak. Um, Ikram Aliskarov over Mario Sousa and Farid Basharat over Alan Begoso. I got three total plays on this card. Since you guys usually rock with me on the contender series, I'll let you guys know what they are. But since I am on a winning streak right now, picks are mainly behind the Patreon paywall. But I love you guys. So I'll let you guys know what the contender series plays are. One unit on Daniel Marcos at plus 132. Uh, one unit on Bruno Brasil parlayed with the Lewis and Peak fight doesn't go to decision um, at plus 119. 1.9 units on Malik Lewis at minus 190 to win one unit. There you guys go. Three bets all on the first three fights. Unfortunately, I won't be able to get to watch them live because it is Mama Locke's birthday today. So I'll be going uh, and hanging with Mama Locke for the majority of the day, and I'll catch up on the contender series later this evening. So good luck on everybody's action. And what I'm going to be doing is uh, hopping off here, throwing it up on podcast networks, and I'm going to be hopping right back on my channel for the MMA Lock Talk. So I'll see you guys right back here on my channel at 4.15. That is just less than 10 minutes from now. Stick around. I'll catch you guys on the other stream. All right. Love you guys. Appreciate you guys. See y'all in about 10 minutes.